You may have been with us for a little while as a church, you've been coming along to reforming and you're checking out who Jesus is. You're so welcome here, you know this, we say this every week. It's great you've been with us. Maybe you are visiting for the first time, you're just thinking after Easter, now would be a good time, perhaps you came to the Q&A, now would be a good time to, to look into this, to see if this is real, if this is true. Perhaps you're a person who just is sceptical. By God's working things out and his providence, the kids' talk was on about faith, what it means to rest in something that is trustworthy. That's what a sceptic is. That's what sceptical people do. They want to look into things with some scepticism to see if it's true. Let me tell you about someone I met a few years ago in this town who was just like that. See, when I first met Tristan, he was very sceptical about having a conversation about Jesus. And he was sceptical, I guess, about me. He knew I was a Christian. He, it was obvious we'd had a conversation, we met, we were friends. And he was sceptical about Christianity, sceptical about being interested at all about Jesus, which meant that I was sceptical he would be interested about Jesus. I was sceptical anything would happen in his life when it came to Jesus. But what Tristan needed to see was the power of the risen Christ. And so did I. This morning's sermon is for those who are sceptical, but it's also for us reforming, it's for our church, because we have a whole bunch of friends and family that are sceptics. And this morning we're going to see and hear from Jesus how he encourages us and equips us to love our sceptical friends, but if you're one of them and you're here, you're a friend this morning, you get to see this morning what Jesus is saying to you. You see, many in our society assume, I think, that Christianity, if they've never actually met real Christianity, we perhaps have seen snippets of it in the media or the way it's projected in some other way or form, many of us assume that Christianity is somewhat a mix of myth and metaphor plus a dash of religious kind of history and a snippet of modern-day superstition. But for anyone who stakes their life on this, and my card's on the table, I do, for anyone who stakes their life on this, is willing to be kind of a little bit ridiculed or a little bit left out at times in the public sphere, for anyone who thinks this is so important that I would identify publicly as a Christian, this has to be trustworthy. Because why would we put our, metaphorically speaking, necks on the line? This has got to be trustworthy. It's got to be true. I don't want to believe in myths. I don't want to believe in fairy tales. It's okay for our four-year-old daughter. It's not okay for a 45-year-old man. And so this has got to be believable. Like Christianity, this, this whole thing, this, this, this Bible, this book, and, and our life, it's got to be real. We want to believe in trustworthy things. Anything else, friends, is absolutely a waste of time. All this waste of time. But Christianity is built on trustworthy things. It is built on trustworthy things. As a famous author, C.S. Lewis, uh, we have on our library up there some Lewis books. You might have heard of him, maybe you haven't. Chronicles of Narnia, that, that guy. Uh, 
He wrote his own testament in a book called Surprised by Joy, which is on our church library, and you can borrow a little plug, just use the barcode thing, you can borrow a book or type it into your, your device. He wrote in his book, in his testimony, about how he moved from atheism as a sceptic to becoming a believer in Jesus. And he said this, he said, and we had that kind of cross-reference reading from Ezekiel 37, that the dry bones come into life. If you've just met that passage for the first time in your life, that's a bit interesting, isn't it? Well, he said it was kind of like that. It was kind of like Ezekiel, the bones shook, they came together in a dreadful valley. And then he says this, in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in. And I admitted that God was God. I knelt and prayed and perhaps that night the most, get this, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England became a Christian. See, Jesus loves to welcome skeptics like C.S. Lewis, like Tristan, my friend. The end of the story of Tristan is he is a believer today in a church down south. I couldn't have seen that, I couldn't have predicted that, and it would be easy for me to think, well, Tristan wouldn't be interested. Skeptics not interested, but they actually are, and, and, and you can be. You can come and taste and see and look at trustworthy things. We just read from John 20. And from John 20, I do hope you have it in front of you, or around you, or somewhere on a paper Bible or a device, but in John 20, we've met a skeptic. Thomas is his name. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap. So Thomas gets called the doubting one, the doubter Thomas, doubting Thomas. Like, maybe, but I'm not sure that entirely describes his situation. And you can see for yourself in John 20, with your Bible there, Thomas, we know, is a close friend of Jesus. He's one of those original 12. You know when they form a band and you have the kind of band, the first band, the original band, and then later, you know, the band members move on, you get the, the next band, you've got the iterations. Well, this is the original band. He's the original 12, right? He was there. Thomas, close friend of Jesus, follower of Jesus, part of the original group. Well, he gets this nickname, Doubting Thomas, but I actually think Thomas was in no doubt for three years who Jesus was. Even the other disciples don't quite get it. So Peter, you know, he gets it in the middle. If you read Mark's Gospel, he gets it in the middle of the ministry, but doesn't quite, he struggles with things. The other disciples struggle, but it's Thomas, we see back in John 11, it's Thomas called the twin who says to his fellow disciples as Jesus goes off to perhaps a hostile situation, Thomas says, let us go with him that we may die with him. Like Thomas is loyal, he's committed, he's perhaps bold and brave, he knows who Jesus is, he's tracking with him, he's not so much the doubter, he's just a skeptic. As we meet the other disciples in John's Gospel, we meet Thomas, we meet Peter, we meet John who wrote this Gospel. We meet people who are just like us. Next week, as we finish this, we're going to meet Peter who needs forgiveness just like us. But perhaps you're a sceptic and thinking, what has the Bible got to say to me? What has Jesus got to say to me? Everything, friends. Everything. You see, Jesus says sceptics are welcome. Now, this means that you might be a believer here this morning. You might even be a member of our church. But you might feel at times you've got your doubts. You're a bit sceptical about some things. You're welcome here. This is for you. 
You might be that you're an outsider looking in and perhaps you're even watching online and you're just, just checking out a church and maybe you've got some strong disagreements. Well, this is the place of robust conversation. Let's have a look at real things. Let's ask our questions. It also means that right here, right now, if you have come along and given your time this hour or so this morning, even if you call yourself an agnostic or an atheist, you're sceptical, you get to see live what was seen live in this episode. This happened. This is a real day. John's Gospel is interesting because John, at the end of his Gospel, says, right at the end, the last few words, he says, look, if I was to write about everything Jesus said and did, I wouldn't have enough books in the world to contain it. What's interesting is with this book, with this Gospel account, this bios, this biography, you can kind of say, it's sort of a biography, but sort of not, because a biography has lots more. John really covers 21 days of Jesus' life. If you count up all the episodes and look at you know, morning and evening and days and how it is, it's probably 21 moments in Jesus' life, and he has to pick them. He picks them for this book, and he picks of all the moments this one. A friend, a follower, a disciple who says, I won't believe it till I see it. John picks that episode intentionally for us. For Tristan, for you. When you're sceptical, come and see how Jesus shows us what sceptics need. And straight up, here's what we see. You can have peace with God. You may have been feeling in your life up until now, you've been a little bit hands-off, God, out of my life, don't really want you involved. Maybe you'd even recognise you've been a a little bit at war with God, fighting him, fighting him off, angry with him. Straight up front, see this. He comes towards you and says, I'm bringing peace. Isn't that interesting? Not, not, I'm bringing war, I'm, 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 I'm going to fight you in return. Not, I've come to scold you or attack you. But he comes and says, I know you're fighting me. I've come to bring peace. Have a look at this. Uh, last week was Risen Sunday, right? So last week, Risen Sunday, the episode before us in John's Gospel. And the last words of last week, so verse 18, it's Mary Magdalene, Mary, Peter and John had seen Jesus, oh, sorry, Mary had seen Jesus. Peter and John yet to see Jesus, but Mary had seen Jesus, but they're all in the open tomb. It's in the empty tomb. And Mary goes and tells the others, I've seen the Lord. They're having trouble believing that. Wouldn't you? Like if you'd just been to a funeral and then three days later said, caught up with Uncle Bruce. Like I've seen Uncle Bruce. Like, uh, uh, this is a moment where you perhaps we need to, you need to sit down. We need to care for you. Uncle Bruce is... We're at the funeral. It's not common for people to rise from the dead. They're not gullible. They're struggling to believe it because they're wanting to believe in trustworthy things. Mary's the only one who saw him at that point. She tells the other disciples. So we see verse 19, pick it up in our episode today. So it's that same day. Friends, have a look at that. Verse 19, on the evening of that day. They've just heard from Mary. I've seen the Lord. And they're like, "Mm mm-hmm. That day, first day of the week, which is a Sunday, that day, the doors are locked. Why? For fear of the Jews, verse 19. 
they're hiding. Wouldn't you? Like your whole thing, your movement, your, your club, your group, your, that little church, their leader was killed on a cross. In a big statement by the Romans, you, you think you're going to be king? You think you're that, if that's the issue here, and a statement by the ruling Jews, you think that's, well, this is where it ends up for you. So they're all hiding because we don't want that to be us. They're hiding for fear of the Jews. They're hiding for fear of those authorities. Friends, see this. Christianity is not a bunch of people that have a blind leap of faith. You know, I've heard it said, it's all about a blind leap of faith. There is no blind leap of faith. Tell that to them. You know what, guys? Just have a blind leap of faith. Unlock the door, go out in the street, hang around the marketplace. There is no blind leap of faith here. They are cautious, unsure, uncertain, and found it a little bit unbelievable. The Jewish rulers were ready for a stolen body. The Jewish rulers are ready for a disappearance act and they're ready to crack down on that. And so they lock the doors. The Roman guard at the tomb, professionals in death, that's their professional vocation. They're able enough to fend off Jesus' followers. They're able enough to find Jesus' followers and so they've locked the doors. Which means... With those doors securely locked, what happens next is astounding. Because all of a sudden, Jesus is in the room. There that day, he's with them in the room. And he came and stood among them, verse 19, and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, whether Jesus can enter the room because his new resurrected body has new abilities, we don't know exactly, or whether he can enter the room because, like Peter in Acts, book of Acts, he's able to exit a locked building because the doors become unlocked and he walks out. We don't know if the doors are unlocked or Jesus... Whatever happens, it is powerful and it's personal. This is not sending a message or a note... Or some sort of cryptic kind of like, you know, cooey! Oh, sorry. If if you're new to Australia, that's the thing Australians do in the bush to find each other. I don't know where it came from, but anyway. It's not some sort of shouting from a distance. He gets in the room with them. He gets close to them. He comes towards them and he says, I bring you peace. The very thing they need. Relief. See, when Jesus says peace to them, He's saying to them, yes, I died. Yes, you fled. You you left me for dead. But I come to you with peace. I hold no grudges. I'm not against you. I'm for you. This is the kind of peace that's the most welcoming peace that could be received. Now, in In the Bible, up until this point, when you see peace be with you and from God himself, you see God is welcoming us into friendship. Where there was enemies, God is saying, we are now friends. Yes, I know you kept the enemy thing going. You were the ones at war. And then when you kind of wanted to be friends, you fled and you let me down. I know this. You're unfaithful. Guess what? I am faithful to you. We are friends because I bring the friendship. Peace. And he comes towards us with peace. This is at the heart of the gospel. This is the good news. Peace. Now when he said this, verse 20, he showed them in his hands and his side 
and look at the response of the disciples. Is it they were then very scared and no one said anything? No, they were glad when they saw the Lord. Now with Mary they have seen the Lord, they've seen it's no ghost, no apparition, no apparent seeing. They're all seeing him at once. It's not a hallucination, it's not how hallucinations work. You know, people say, well, it was a, yeah, they were hallucinating, they wanted to see him alive. Friends, that's not how hallucinations work, that's not science. Hallucinations don't work with a whole group of people seeing the same thing at the same time. He stands there. He gives them peace. And then he says again peace, verse 21. He repeats it. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Do you hear this message? You have just received joy beyond measure. What does our world need most? They need Jesus to have that kind of joy beyond measure. They need gladness. And so Jesus is sending them with good news. Sin has been dealt with. Death has been defeated. He is risen. And now he's sending them. In classic John theology, the Father sends the Son. We see this in John 1. And now the Son with the Father who sends the Spirit, now breathes on them with the Holy Spirit and sends them. God is the first missionary and God is the first missionary agency. God is the sending God. He is the saving God. And so he sends them. They're commissioned to go into the world with peace, news of peace. We see here that Jesus gives them this foretaste of the Spirit in this sending. Receive the Holy Spirit. It was in that cross-reference reading we had for our preaching passage, which is John, but our cross-reference passage was Ezekiel 37, where we see this has been prophesied, it's been promised. God is going to do something in our world, and friends, he's doing something by his Spirit, taking the message of peace around the world. See, we can easily think, what is God doing? God took his hands off the steering wheel in my life, I'm suffering. Well, we know the God who suffers. We know the God who suffered, the one who sent his son who came to a cross. Do you think God does not understand what it's like to have your friends betray you, flee you? He knows. He is, he is, no, God doesn't know what it's like to suffer shame. Well, he took your shame on the cross. Here is the God who sends people out into a world that has shame and fear, and frustrations, and anger, and all sorts of things that suck our joy. And he says, take peace to this world. Good news, I am risen. And he gives them a foretaste of the Holy Spirit that will be poured out in Acts chapter 2, but here they get this foretaste. And, and look at the foretaste, verse 23. What is the message for the world? If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from many, it is withheld. Now, sometimes there are groups in Christian circles, I don't know, maybe cults, or they call themselves denominations, who get this wrong. So the Roman Catholic Church, for example, get this wrong. Some churches even, don't have to be Roman Catholic, get this wrong. We assert that what Jesus is saying here is, if you happen to be a leader in the church, like a pastor or someone like 
me or others who serve in this way. Well, you can give people forgiveness of sins and you can withhold forgiveness. That is not what Jesus is saying. Now, how do we know that? Friends, context is key. There's an old saying, a text without a context is a con or a pretext for anything. It's not what Jesus is saying. You can look at other passages, Matthew 16, other places where Jesus, what is Jesus doing? He's giving his apostles that first and only band that was formed. We don't have apostles today. He's giving his apostles, apostolos means sent ones. He's giving his apostles, though that group, the authority to lay the foundation of the gospel when they don't have the New Testament yet, to lay the foundation of the gospel, to write, speak, and preach this, for then all the generations to come, this is the authority. This is where you get forgiveness of sins, in this gospel, in this news. It's not giving power to people like me to determine whether you're forgiven or not. That's God's job. It's just giving them the authority to say, hey, perhaps someone could write this down. Uh, I wonder who could write this episode down. Oh, John, you were there. You're a witness of the risen Jesus. You could write this into a book, John's Gospel. They have the authority to write a book. I don't. You should never see the Gospel according to Russell in your Bible. There are no apostles today, friends. Not like this. Not with this authority. And we need Jesus to give them that authority because we need those eyewitnesses and sceptics need those eyewitnesses. People often say... I would believe if he showed up right now. Well, he did. People saw it. And we have this trustworthy eyewitness account. John has already written in John 19. And then he's, he writes at the end of this passage, this is written so that you would believe. And he writes next, so we can see this, next in verse 24, you can test the truth of the risen Jesus. That's what Thomas is doing. Of course, we see in verse 24, Thomas, uh, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. He's not in the room. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And we don't know where Thomas was, except he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared. He wasn't there. People theorise, maybe Thomas, who's so bold in John 11, who say, I'm going to go and die with Jesus, who's with me? Maybe he's kind of a bold guy. He's like, I don't need to be in a locked room, you cowards. So what, they killed him. Let them come for me. I'll go die with him too. Maybe that's where Thomas is. He's out in the street going, hey, recognise me? Maybe. Maybe Thomas is... Well, he was, he was believing, he, 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 had, he had full assurance who Jesus was, but the whole crucifixion thing. And now he's risen? I don't believe it until I see it. We don't know where he was, we don't know why, but we do know what happens next. Though he's sceptical, here he is, this loyal follower of Jesus, who won't believe unless he sees. He's not gullible, he's rational, he's a thinker. And so eight days later, they're inside again. Thomas is with them, and again the doors are locked. And verse 26, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Friends, notice this. This is the third time Jesus says this. 
This is the third time. Every time Jesus appears to his disciples, he's got the same message. Peace be with you. I've come with peace. And then Jesus immediately turns to Thomas. It's like he's heard what he's already said. It's like Jesus somehow would be God and would know and is in the room and would know what it said. Because he is. What Thomas said eight days earlier, Jesus heard it. It wasn't relayed to him. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus appeared to other disciples and the disciples said, hey, Jesus, it's great to see you again. Thanks for that message of peace again. Um, let me tell you, Thomas, mm, you know what he said? Mm. That's not what's going on, is it? It's not gossip. It's not second message or whispers. Jesus knows what Thomas said. Jesus knows what Thomas thinks. And does Jesus come and scold him? Thomas you are an idiot. Is that what Jesus does? Obviously not. That's not characteristic of Jesus. No, Jesus comes to Thomas and he says, gently. Now, you've got to be gentle, haven't you? You've got to be tender. Look at verse 27. How tender and close and personal do you need to be to say to someone, how close do you need to be to say to someone, put your finger here? It can't be done across the room. It can't be done... Hey, Thomas, we're going to look at you and point our fingers at you. He's not doing that. It's done closely, personally, lovingly. Hey, friend. He gets close, close enough that Thomas could reach out, put your finger here, touch my side. Friends, over morning tea this morning, if you come up and touch my side, I'm going to be, ooh. Like, depending on who you are, of course. It's one of our children. Yeah, that's normal. Um, you're welcome to do it. If, if, if you're a hugger, not all of us are huggers. I'm, I'm a quasi-hugger. Like, I, I do it, but yeah, got to prepare myself, I guess. I'm happy to do it. Touching someone's side is a personal and close, intimate thing to do. That's how Jesus is towards Thomas. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. Feel the crucified flesh now resurrected. Thomas has seen. I love Thomas's reply. John's Gospel equips us as a church in so many ways, and we've seen this already. There are people, there are, they call themselves Christians, but they're really cults, right? So one of them is the Jehovah's Witnesses. We have friends that are Jehovah's Witnesses. We had them in our home regularly for morning tea. Um, but Jehovah's Witnesses will often say, uh, Jesus is not God. Right? So John 1, they'll pull out John 1, they've been taught a spiel, because they're not taught what we're trying to do here and teach you how to read the Bible for yourself. They're not doing that, they're just teaching them a spiel, a sheet of paper or what the pastor just said. Right? And so they'll say, Jesus is not God. John 1, the Greek says he could be a God. Well, you could sit down and say, well, let's, let's read some Greek together and see how that goes. But um, aside from that, you don't need to read Greek, do you, to see what John writes. Look at Thomas's reply, I love it. Thomas sees the risen Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. Now, Jesus does not correct him. Uh, Thomas, just a minute, uh, just a minute, it's just a theological bit of, uh, no, I'm a God, uh, like I became a God, because, no, no. Thomas is right. 
That is the confession of a Christian. That is what a Christian says because we believe it. Jesus is now clearly seen to us. He always was Lord and God, but now we see in his resurrection trial, he is Lord and God. If you had skepticism or doubts before, now you can see he's Lord and God. John, who writes this book, writes another book called Revelation. And at the end of Revelation, he gets this big picture narrative of what's going to happen at the end of all things when Jesus comes to wrap it up into the new age. And John gets that. That's a privilege, isn't it, right? To have that whole vision. You know what John does next at the end of that book? He writes it about himself. This is what he did. Right? A bit embarrassing. As the angel delivers the message, John then falls down and worships the angel. And the angel says, get up, I'm just a creature like you. So if Jesus wanted to clarify, if John wanted to clarify, no, Jesus is not God and, you know, it's like me falling down and worshiping the angel, Thomas got it wrong. He doesn't. Friends, let's be clear who this is. This is now Lord of sin and death and everything. He is the defeater. He's the sin smasher. He is Lord. He is God. When you see Jesus, when you meet him in the Bible, when you see his character, his attitudes, his love, his gentleness, his firm on being what the truth is about and yet clear on how people can come to that truth, you meet God. This is what a Christian is, to confess this. So here is something important to remember. If you don't say that, if you don't believe that, you're not a Christian yet. So you're not a Christian just because you kind of, you know, believe God exists. No, no, you're a Christian of Christ, a Christian, because you say Christ is Lord and God. And Jesus says to Thomas, for our sake, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So those first disciples sent with all authority, they're privileged, they actually got to see the risen Jesus. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. We haven't. Oh, we'd love to eyeball him, wouldn't we? We'd love to see him face to face. I would love to. That's what we long for the heavens to come, the new creation, the life with him forever. We're going to see him face to face. We're going to even be able to because in his risen body and our risen body somehow get up close and personal. We're going to be able to do that, but not yet. But until then, we can still meet him, Jesus says. We can't see him with our eyeballs, but we can meet him with our eyes of faith. And this is how, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We have been using this passage as our benediction. It's the, the word benediction means blessing. As our last words we hear from God's word at the end of every service for a long time now. This has been our benediction. We close with this. Because this is the reason this book exists. This is the reason that John writes this, that you would believe Jesus is your Lord and God. And you get to believe that by meeting him in the Bible. See this, friends? This is where faith comes from. 
Faith comes from the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God, which is like that chair we saw in kids' talk, hearing it and believing it. Faith is formed from believing promises. Words that are trustworthy. A promise is trustworthy, isn't it? It's supposed to be. So I'm very rare to make promises in life. I've only made a few. I made some on my wedding day because I don't want to break them. So I can't promise that I'll always do a good job of this, of preaching. I can't promise that church will always be easy or fun or won't be messy. I can't promise lots of things in life. But when a promise is made, what is the thing you could do with it? You can either ignore it or you can trust in it. And the promise is this, Jesus, Lord and God, faith comes from hearing. You see this? Faith doesn't come from us seeing a picture of Jesus. Like, imagine if churches said, you know what we need to do every Sunday? For about half an hour or so, we're going to put a big painting of Jesus on that screen and we're going to sit there and look at it. There are... Groups of Christians that think that's how it works. We'll get a big painting, we'll travel the country, we'll venerate it, we'll look at it, and somehow we'll see people become to have faith in Jesus. That's not what the Bible says where faith comes from. Faith doesn't come from having a symbol about Jesus, does it? We could have any symbols you could think of, any symbols in the world, we could have them, and we could just look at them, and you won't actually be moved to faith in Jesus. Because what can you know from a symbol? A little bit, but not much. No. Friends, the Bible says this. Jesus says, in Jesus' words, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And how are they going to believe? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes through hearing. Hebrews 11, 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen, but heard. In the Word, there are spiritual dangers of forming our faith on symbols and pictures and images. And the Bible is keen to show us the dangers of those things. Yes, we'd love to have, if we just had the right movie. Now, I'm not against movies. If we just had the right movie, the right screenplay, the right picture, the right comic, the right narrative, the right symbols. If we just dressed up our churches in the right way, then people would believe. And the Bible says, that's bonkers. Faith comes from hearing. You meet Jesus at his word. And you're blessed if you believe. The risen Christ has been changing everything for skeptics ever since. See, the risen Christ changed everything for Thomas in that moment, didn't he? He changed everything for Thomas. History tells us it's hard to know, but I did some more reading this week because so I wanted to be sure, but we're all not sure. But history tells us, scholars tell us, it's likely that Thomas ended up being a missionary in India and dying on the East Coast, near Chennai, possibly. It's hard to know the details and history must be examined, of course, which is what Thomas would want. Thomas wants you to be a sceptic. He wants you to be like, you know, if, if Thomas, I want you to examine, but that's what Jesus wants. He wants you to look into trustworthy things. This is what Jesus wants, moreover. The glorious gospel message of peace. Jesus wanted Thomas to move from sceptical Thomas to trusting Thomas. 
And if Thomas is not even willing to look at the evidence of the risen Jesus, sure, he's doubting Thomas then, he's just a doubter, but that's not the case. Thomas is willing to be a true sceptic, and true sceptics look into true things to see if it's true. And you can too. Jesus gives us every reason of evidence in the world. He tells us how blessed we are to even doubt our doubts. We should do that. It's been said before. You know, we have our doubts about Christianity. Why don't you doubt your doubt? Like, get your doubt. What is the thing stopping you looking into this? Get that thing and doubt it. Why has that got the authority to stop you looking into things? Why is, why is that holding of doubt? Why does the doubt get to be the authority in your life? Doubt your doubts. Look into your own scepticism. Pull it apart and say, is that worthy of me holding as a rational worldview? And then look into the real things of Jesus. Because Jesus has given us something to test, trustworthy, it's historical, it's verifiable, it has multiple witness, multiple eyewitness accounts, it is in document form, it's compiled in your hand, and it's called a Bible. We call it a Bible. This this is the place you can test and see if this is true. Yes, there are other books that speak about it, books of the same time period, but the Bible has an authority in itself because it's written by eyewitnesses. It's authored by God. It's the best evangelistic book, course. It contains the leader's notes, the training, the means and the message for us to show other sceptics too. We call it reading the Bible one-to-one. And in the Bible, you will see that his hands and his side were really pierced. That he really did die for your sin. He really did rise for your hope. And he really does move towards you now. It is not an accident you are here this morning. It is not a coincidence that if you've been sceptical, you are here. Jesus was in the room when you were being sceptical. Jesus was in the room when you were thinking, I don't really believe in that stuff. I'm happy to go along because a friend invited me or I'm here with my family member. Do you know Jesus was in the room then? Jesus is in the room now. Jesus is in the room. He knows you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows your questions. He knows your doubts, your scepticism. And you know what? Jesus is not rattled. He's not like, oh no, someone else has got doubts. And he's not accusing. He's coming towards you with love. Why do you worry so much in life? Why do I? Like, why do we, in this current financial crisis, we're always having a crisis if we're not really wealthy, but, you know, that's us in this part of the world. But why, why do we worry about money so much right now? Why, why are you harboring bitterness in your heart towards someone? And they might not even know it. Why do you get so enslaved to the same unhealthy sins that entangle you? Why do you get so angry? Why is that your default emotion? It's because for us, even in the church, we don't really believe Jesus is our rescuer of these things. Jesus comes for us to believe. 
Because Jesus knows when you said that thing about someone or even about him and, and they weren't around, but Jesus was. Jesus knows all the wrong of your life. Jesus knows you've been harboring bitterness in your life. Jesus knows your doubts. Jesus knows your frustrations. He knows your flaws and failings. Jesus knows everything about you. Like he knew everything about Thomas. And he's not repelled. Instead, he comes towards you and he says, Peace be with you. So you get to say, My Lord and my God. Let's pray we believe it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you have revealed yourself in your risen glory to the apostles to those eyewitnesses who give us your word with such authority so that we can believe this. We're praying now, we're asking that we will believe. We also pray that we as a church would now be equipped and encouraged with all confidence that we can have in the risen Christ to live our lives ready to show people Jesus from your word simply by reading the Bible with people over dinner, over coffee, in our breaks, in our moments when we're asked the question and especially when we have our doubts, when we feel sceptical. Father, please change everything for us, for everyone. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.